Welcome to Autopsy of a Horror Movie, where I like to sit down with a glass of bourbon and take a closer look at horror films. My name is Brooker Nurse, and today I'll be looking into the 1999 remake of House on Haunted Hill and what I believe to be the best scare of the movie. Pour yourself something smooth, get comfortable as I get into my crazy theories and interpretations. This is Autopsy of a Horror Movie. Thank you so much for coming by and checking out this episode of Autopsy of a Horror Movie. As I said up top, my name is Brooker, and today I'll be going over House on Haunted Hill from 1999, which was directed by William Malone. This movie stars Jeffrey Rush, Vomke Jensen, Ty Diggs, Peter Gallagher, Chris Kattan, Ali Larder, Bridget Wilson, and Jeffrey Combs. Now, this movie, as some of you probably know, is a remake of a classic horror movie by the same title, House on Haunted Hill from 1959, directed by William Castle, starring Vincent Price. In case you're wondering, I will not be discussing the original movie today, because frankly, I haven't seen it. And I do plan on covering it at uh, some point in the future, and also perhaps doing a comparison episode between the remake and the original. So I abstained from viewing the 1959 movie in order to avoid any sort of repeating points or it allowing to bleed into my conversation here today. But if you haven't seen this movie before, or you've seen it before, but it's just been a while, you just need to you know shake off the cobwebs, need a little refresher, I'm about to go over a spoiler-free but kind of detailed uh, plot summary. After I get done with the summary, the rest of the episode will have spoilers, so you have been warned. House on Haunted Hill was once an asylum for the criminally insane in the 1920s and 30s. The doctor who ran the joint, Dr. Vandekoot, was an evil man and he would perform cruel and deadly experimental procedures on the patients of the asylum. In 1931, the asylum burned down with Dr. Vandekoot, his staff, a sadist, and his patients trapped inside. The house remained still, empty, and rumored to be haunted to this very day. Fast forward to present day 1999, where an amusement park tycoon Stephen Price is throwing a birthday party for his wife Evelyn at, you guessed it, House on Haunted Hill. And yes, they actually call it House on Haunted Hill in the movie. Stephen and Evelyn have this weird, toxic, hate marriage thing going on, and so Stephen goes against Evelyn's wishes and he throws out her guest invite list and invites people of his own choosing. However, when the guests do arrive to the house, Turns out, those weren't the people he invited either. Nevertheless, Stephen Price does not let this spoil his evening, and being the thrill-seeker and clever engineer that he is, he has booby-trapped the house with kind of like jump scares and things like that, I don't think anything that would legitimately kill you, and tells the guests that if they can survive the night, or, you know, last the scares, that they will each win a million dollars, but they're free to leave whenever, if they get too scared, and if they do leave, their million dollars will be divvied up among the rest of the people that are still there. However, things don't go according to plan, and outside of Mr. Price's control, all of them become trapped inside the house and they must find a way out before they are all killed and added to the body count of this hellish establishment. As the party goes later into the night, guests go missing or killed off and there are some crazy unexpected twists and turns in this movie. Who, if any, will be left by morning to walk away with Mr. Price's million dollar checks in their pockets? 
So besides the fact that I just legitimately enjoy this movie and I think it's a lot of fun and kind of campy at times, I picked this as episode one of this show because it was actually the first horror movie I watched by myself when I was like 12 or 13 years old. So I figured, why not start off the podcast with where I started my own personal journey in horror movies? So I hope that you can appreciate that. This movie absolutely slides into the haunted house, ghost story, paranormal subgenre of the umbrella of horror, which I really like. I think that's a very fun uh, subgenre to be in with the haunted houses and everything. And it just forces the creators to make the house super scary. And like, and like they have to be kind of creative about it because there are so many different haunted houses. You got to make it your own. And they absolutely did that here. Uh, the director, William Malone, actually wanted this to be a haunted house paranormal story because he felt like at the time there weren't too many ghost stories out. So he kind of wanted to go against the grain and do that. If you have access to his commentary or any of his interviews, um, thankfully I have the Blu-ray to this movie, so I was able to watch that. Um, I highly recommend or suggest just listening to him talk about this movie because he seems like such a warm person and listening to him talk about the filmmaking process for House on Haunted Hill, you can just tell that he really enjoyed this and he put a lot of care into it and it kind of adds to my own personal enjoyment that I get out of this. I always like saying that people enjoyed making something so the plot of this movie is simple enough. There are some twists. You know, it's basically how I just said. A group of strangers are invited to a birthday party at a haunted asylum. Doesn't that sound kind of stupid but awesome at the same time? That sounds so intriguing to me. It almost kind of reads like an Agatha Christie novel. Um, you know, just a guest of strangers being invited to a party or whatever. But the movie isn't as elegant, I guess I'll say, as an Agatha Christie <laughs> Uh, novel, but it's still a lot of fun. And Jeffrey Rush and Famke Jansen as Stephen Price and Evelyn Price were just great in this. They're probably the best actors in this. And I think Jeffrey Rush is just coming off an Oscar win as well. So it was actually kind of funny that he was in this, but you can just tell that they're having so much fun. They are just chewing on the scenery in this movie. And something that really sticks out to me is their dynamic, their relationship. While they are husband and wife, they hate each other so much, and you could just really feel just the venom that's coursing through the veins of this corrupted marriage, and it's it's uncomfortable really because they are like they're they're abusive to each other, and it's just so odd for you to see a marriage filled with hate, but. It kind of really sticks out in a good way, I think, in, in that it makes this movie less forgettable. That's something that you definitely think about when you think about this movie. You think about that weird, hateful dynamic between Steven and Evelyn in this movie. The rest of the characters are pretty good. I mean, I don't want to get I don't want to spend the whole time going like character by character, what I liked and whatnot. Tay Diggs and Allie Larder were, were good in this. Tay Diggs, I thought, did a better job. I really liked him in this. But I do want to point out uh, the character of Pritchett, played by Chris Kattan. He was, I don't want to say funny. I mean, he, he had some good jokes in this. But what I really liked about him and where I thought that he was useful in this movie is that he convinced me that I should be scared of the house. Because when the guests arrive, he is so nervous. He's waiting at the bottom of the driveway and he just does not want to be there. He refuses to just go a couple feet beyond the threshold of the front door and his anxiousness and just fear and dread of this house really just bled into me like I was 
feeling that the first time I watched this, and I was like, this dude knows what this house is, and he doesn't even want to step more than two feet beyond the front door. I, I, I don't want these characters to be here. Like, they need to get out. So, as much as, like, Pritchett was annoying at times in this movie, I will say his use was effective in that it made me scare of the, scare of the house the first time I watched this. Something that I did want to point out is that this movie has two montages, and it's kind of odd for a horror film, especially one where people are trapped in a house to have two montages, let alone one. I will say, though, that one of them is good. <laughs> it's the, uh, the first one where the guests are arriving in their cars and they're driving up to the house. This was an effective montage. I liked this a lot. And what a big plus to this is that they used Marilyn Manson's cover of Sweet Dreams during this montage. And it kind of just adds this sense of edginess and creepiness to the movie. Because, you know, Sweet Dreams, it's a song we've all heard from, you know, from the 80s. And to hear Marilyn Manson do it is kind of, you know, it's backwards. But I love it. And they just let that song rip. They just let it play for... It feels like two minutes. I don't know if it actually is two minutes, but it feels like a while, and they just let it play. And I also appreciate that this montage definitely helped cut down on the runtime because we didn't have to go through each individual character getting their invitation going, who is this price character? Why are they inviting me to the house? Ooh, a million dollars? Well, I got to figure out what I'm going to wear. And so I'm glad that we kind of just cut through that, and we got this nice song. It was really great. Nice job, Malone. However, the second montage comes out of fucking nowhere and has no business being in this movie and it really makes me mad because it comes right after probably one of the most memorable scares of the movie so Stephen price has just found his handyman his security guard to be murdered in this little security room that they, that they have and this was a sick kill even though it happened off screen the makeup department did a great job with this because we see that his face and skull has just been hollowed out and it was just really great effects so he finds this body and he you know it's a big shock and scare and the scares continue because he looks up to the security monitors and he sees on one of the monitors dr vandekit is walking around with a bone saw and he stops and he stares directly at the camera to look at Stephen Price, and they kind of lock eyes during this. And Vanekit, he does this really creepy, slow, twitchy walk thing with the bone saw, and it just really sticks with you. And the thing about this is that the way that the director pans the camera over the rest of the security monitors is that we land on Evelyn by herself in her bedroom, and so we're, we're, it's very easy to connect the dots that Vanekit is exiting the room that he's in to go after Evelyn and, you know, murder her. And then this stupid montage hits, and it's so just bad. It, like, I don't know, it was supposed to be like a comedic relief, but it really wasn't funny. The music sucked. It just really throws you out of it. And the thing that I hated the most was that Price is like just, so, so, he so we know that Vanekit's going after Evelyn, who's by herself in her bed. So just and he but Stephen Price doesn't just run straight to that bedroom. He's like we see him running throughout the rest of the house, kind of Scooby Doo style, going out in and out of rooms looking for Vanekit. It was really weird. I guess we're left to assume that he went to her bedroom and she was missing. So that's why he's going through the rest of the house. I don't know. Maybe I missed that part. I don't know. But whatever. This montage sucks. Anyways. 
What I find incredibly interesting about horror films is that they're able to tap into like what scares you personally. And we all react differently to different movies. And the same goes for horror. We all react to different fears or different scares differently. And if you think about it, this movie has a handful of different antagonists that are each kind of tapping into something different. So you might be more fearful of one of them more than the other, depending on your, you know, what you personally are scared of. Something that I will be talking about in future episodes, and this episode including, are the types of fears that the movies really tap into. I'll be talking about uh, these five basic fears, according to psychologist Dr. Carl Albrecht, that he states that there are five basic fears that all humans share, which are extinction or fear of death, mutilation, body invasion, loss of autonomy, separation, abandonment, or rejection, and then lastly, humiliation, shame, or worthlessness, i.e. death of ego. And I say that a large majority of horror films hit definitely hit on the fear of death or extinction. Everybody is, you know, fearful that the characters in the movie will be killed off, especially watching a slasher. But as I said, that there are this movie. If you think about it, this movie has a couple different villains or antagonists in it, and they're kind of are all tapping into something different. So let's start with Doctor Vanikit. He is obviously tapping to the fear of extinction because he is killing lots of people in this movie, lots of patients. But he also presses on the mutilation button. I mean, we see him do these surgeries. We see all these weird, morbid model displays in the hallway that Melissa Marr passes by. And in fact, Melissa Marr herself becomes one of his mutilated victims. And that when she disappears in the movie, we don't know what happened to her. But when we when she reappears at the end, we see that her body has literally been chopped into pieces and is left on display. Which I guess maybe being left on display is also a sense of shame and humiliation as well. Kind of displaying this. You don't want to be that open or that vulnerable. So kind of hitting that as well. Now, I think one of the biggest fears that this movie taps into, or at least the things that scared me the most, and the greatest element of this movie, and I'm going to go ahead and call it an antagonist on its own, is the house itself. As most haunted house movies should be, the house needs to be one of the scariest parts of the movie, and this house, or the asylum, however you want to call it, it it's terrifying, it's dreadful, it's devoid of all hope, and I am anxious every time we go down to the basement of this house but i think that the fear that this plays off of is the fear of separation because people go missing down here they get confused where they are and they get separated from the rest of the group and you definitely feel completely cut off when you're down here because it's hard to get a layout like we see the characters walk through this for a while especially sarah and eddie but i still don't have a sense of how to navigate through the hallways down there it's so confusing it's really a true labyrinth and as I said, I feel like that each movie taps into some sort of uh, personal fear that you have. I was a kid when I watched this. My biggest fear was being lost and not being able to fa- find my way back home. And this, you know, fear of separation, getting lost down there really hit home for me on that. Um, you never know what's hiding or lurking behind a corner or in one of those side rooms. It's just so scary. I love it. This house is just terrifying. And I need to give some more praise to William Malone for this, the director, because he said that the key to this movie for him, it needed to have atmosphere. He thought that was so important and key, and he felt that most movies at the time were lacking that or kind of glazing over atmosphere. And so he kind of gave the house this art 
Deco style that I really appreciated. And Malone went on to share kind of a funny story about his 18-year-old daughter who asked if she could spend the night or stay the night on the basement stage, the asylum stage of the of the movie. And he's like, I don't know if you want to do that because we have to, for security reasons, we have to lock the stage at night. So you'll be stuck in here in this hellish basement all night by yourself. She goes, yeah, 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 I could do that. So he said he locked the doors, counted the 10, and before he even got the 10, she was banging on the, banging on the door to be let out, <laughs> which I kind of find really funny. And I also kind of like that he brought his kids on set to look at it. I think that's great. Another antagonist of this movie is absolutely Evelyn. He also throwing Dr. Blackburn in there with her. Um, she, the twist of this movie is that she is trying to sort of trick one of the guests to murder her husband, Stephen Price, for her. And so that really definitely taps into, of course, that fear of extinction. Besides this murderous plot she has, she does stab to death her accomplice, Dr. Blackburn, in which I actually really appreciated because the dude was scum. But in um, and, and this twisted marriage between Evelyn and Stephen, I think also represents a totally different type of fear, and that is kind of like a lack of trust. And I'm not really sure where on Dr. Albrich's list that I mentioned that will tap into. Um, if you have an idea, please feel free to email me. The email is in the show notes, what your thoughts are, or tweet at me. Again, Twitter's in the show notes. But I I feel like that this kind of this lack of trust between those two is something scary because it's scary not knowing if you could trust someone. It's even scarier knowing that you can't trust someone. And I really think that this plays into what I think that the message or main takeaway of this movie. This movie is making you question who can you trust? And it's showing that through a relationship built on trust is how you can become successful. Here, here's my argument for this. There are three different types of relationships presented in this movie, including the relationship between a husband and wife, doctor and patient, and the relationship among strangers. Typically out of these, you're supposed to have a sense of trust and comfort between your spouse and your doctor, but this movie takes those relationships and completely flips them and it makes you, the audience, sort of fear them and makes you it just makes you feel so unsettled so you're supposed to be able to trust your spouse or significant other but steven and evelyn are stuck in this hate marriage thing and they verbally and physically abuse each other and they drive each other to you know wanting to literally kill each other in this movie this movie also violates the trust between a doctor and their patient you're supposed to be able to trust that your doctor has their best interest for you, but both Dr. Vandekut and Dr. Blackburn are bad, bad men. Vandekut obviously killed and mutilated his patients, and Blackburn is possibly a necrophiliac, and he sexually harasses Evelyn while she's dead. It was it, it was bizarre, and that's why the dude is scum, and I was so happy that Evelyn stabbed him to death. And plus, he's also totally okay with Evelyn trying to get Steven killed so this movie is also kind of like hey don't trust doctors in general it's kind of weird however looking at the third relationship presented in this movie is the relationship among strangers which is you know the one that you're more typically kind of supposed to be more skeptical of and suspicious of you know can you trust people you don't know and they show the bond formed between Eddie and Sarah in this they started out as complete strangers, but 
Yet, they worked together to find a way out of the house and are very supportive of each other in their efforts. Sarah opens up to Eddie and admits that she was lying about her identity and kind of goes over her motivations for that and her aspirations. So she, you know, gets vulnerable and admits to her own wrongdoing and her lying. And that's kind of a big step, especially to do, especially something to admit to a stranger. And Eddie kind of trusts her a little bit more because of this. And we see by them working together that they are able to get out of the house and survive the night. While the movie doesn't exactly explore their dynamic in depth, it is a clear contrast to the relationship between Steve and Evelyn, how theirs is so toxic, filled with hate and distrust, and, well, Eddie and Sarah, while strangers, don't have any of that, and they are proven successful at the end of the movie. I also want to give kudos to the filmmakers for having a person of color survive a horror movie and for being a pretty cool character. Ty Diggs, or Tay Diggs did a great job as Eddie. I loved him. It was a lot of fun to watch this. It is time for me to get into what I think is the best scare and frankly the best scene of this movie. I will be examining the death scene of Melissa Marr, played by Bridget Wilson, and providing some wacky interpretations, and I hope you at least find it interesting. It is a sequence in this movie that stands out, scared the shit out of me the first time I watched it, and is probably one of the first things most people think of when they think of this movie. I have provided a YouTube link in the show notes if you need a refresher or just want to watch the scene again, and if you need further convincing that this scene has really stuck out to people, just read the comments of, of that video. It's great. So, what do we know about Melissa Marr? Well, we know that she is a former TV personality that's looking to get back into the spotlight. So, she walks down to the asylum part of this house with her video camera hoping to capture something interesting that will go viral and kind of give her some fame, I guess. She shows a lack of respect for the corpses that are morbidly displayed in the hallway. She captures them on her camera and she is giddy about it. She is laughing and smiling in the faces of these victims that were tormented by Dr. Vandekut. She ironically does find a spotlight in the hallway at the bottom of the stairs, and light is normally a symbol of hope or salvation or even relief. And we see Melissa goes and stands in the center of the spotlight, to me conveying how she is hopeful that her going down here and exploring the asylum will lead her back to fame. However, as she stands in the spotlight, we get this POV shot of a ghost rushing towards her, and when she steps out, we see that this is a false spotlight. There are these horizontal dark shadows going across the spotlight. It is not whole, it's not complete. This represents false hope of false light. She's not going to be finding what she's hoping for down here, because the asylum represents hell, I think. It is devoid of all hope, of all light, and her arrogance will be her demise down here. She travels further into the labyrinth of the house, traveling deeper into hell, and we are getting this fear of separation really tapping in, and the fear of the unknown. She is so far away from the rest of the group, we don't even know where she is at this point, because we kind of cut to her in a different hallway, so we, the audience, don't even have a layout. We don't know what to tell her, which way to run. also find it interesting that... In a way, she's kind of using her camera as a compass while walking through the halls. She passes by empty rooms, cobwebs, and vacant wheelchairs, which is just very ominous and dark. And then she comes across this vacant operating room. While looking at it with her own eyes, the room is unoccupied. But viewing through her camera shows something way more sinister. There is a poor patient, really a victim of Dr. Vandekit, is being operated on and filmed by a nurse. 
I like to think that this patient is one of the people that she laughed at on the way down, one of those corpses, but it's unlikely because this looks like the scene from the opening of the movie. I also think that it's an interesting parallel between the nurse filming the operation and Melissa filming them. It's kind of drawing this comparison of Melissa's morbid curiosity and amusement for this uh, sinister act and her lack of respect for this place. And it's kind of comparing it to Dr. Vanekut's staff of sadists and his nurses and how they all share this sense of morbid curiosity and sick amusement by these gross surgeries that he was doing and it's kind of it's kind of showing how she also doesn't care she's kind of doing something that they were doing as well maybe she belongs down here the creepiest part of the sequence is when the doctor and nurses stop what they're doing they look up towards melissa and acknowledge that they know that she's there it is so dreadful and creepy i fucking love it and my heart was pounding the first time i saw it it's so great and we see behind her is down the hallway off to the side not in the center of the hallway but off to the side which i think is creepier is this zombie like creature it's just standing there watching her and as i said i like that it's kind of just off to the side because it's almost kind of like it's lurking it's been following her but it acknowledges that it's been made it knows that melissa knows that it's there but it doesn't care to move it doesn't care to get out of the way or anything it has this kind of like sinister confidence as like yep i don't care that you found me and now it makes its approach and it rushes towards melissa and we see that this creature doesn't have eyes i'm kind of using this playing back to my theory about how light represents hope and that this place is hell so there is no light here there's only false light false hope and why would he even need eyes kind of like making a parallel to how cave salamanders and other cave fish don't develop eyes because there's no natural light in caves why do they need them there's no light there's no hope in this hell why does he even need eyes i love that little detail definitely my own interpretation not i doubt that was something else on purpose but i just love it so we see that he rushes her we get this weird montage all sorts of creepy things that we see later again in the movie her screams echo up to the top where everybody else hears her and she goes missing we don't know what happens to her until like almost the very end of the movie and it's it's just so good it's so effective it stands out so much to me so that was my interpretation is that this place represents a hell and the light is false light false hope because it is hell and that's why the zombie like creature doesn't have eyes because why would it need eyes if there's no light or no hope down here also it really kind of feels like that her ignorance and her lack of respect really kind of was her undoing in this as well. Going back to the commentary that I watched from William Malone, this scene is just so good and scary. He actually scared himself while writing this scene. He was writing it and he got to the part where he wrote about how she looks at the camera, she sees them, but she looks beyond the camera and they're not there. It was like very scary. And his phone rang and he said he jumped... <laughs> Also, when he did a screener with the producers, the producers jumped at this scene, and he, he just knew he had some of the gold here. And it's one of my favorite parts of the movie, one of the best scares. I love it. Again, please watch that YouTube clip if you haven't seen it in a while. It's so worth it. In summary, I really like this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's cheesy. It's kind of campy at times. And I still think that the scares are effective. And the house itself is so great. I just think it's a lot of fun. Jeffrey Rush and Famke Jensen were just 
eating the scenery. They were so much fun to watch. I really like this movie. I think that this movie is about trust, relationships, and how the asylum could really be seen as hell itself. And Dr. Vandekit is Beelzebub torturing his souls down there, even in death. If you like the show, I hope that you return next week. Each episode will kind of be rotating between a movie review and analysis like this and something a little bit more light and fun, such as like a special topics or just kind of like a kill ranking. Thank you again for coming by. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BruckerHorror, B-R-U-C-K-E-R. And feel free to reach out with your own interpretations and thoughts and let me know what you thought of this episode. You can also email me at BruckerHorror at gmail.com. Hope to see you next week and follow me on my socials so that way you know what episode's coming up. All right, guys, take it easy and enjoy some good movies. Mm-hmm.